tap into your most original thinking, organize your ideas, and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And this is the podcast where we talk to artists of all kinds about not only their creative inspiration, but how they gain the confidence and the connections to get their work out into the world. And sometimes that's the unlocking part. We can have great ideas, we can have great creative work, but how we get it out into the world can often be a challenge. And there's lots of creative ways that we're learning on this podcast to get our work out into the world. Today, we're talking with Michael Fashionello of the platform and the gallery online gallery, I guess I could call it, Michael, the Altamira Gallery. And we also have three of the artists who participate on Altamira. And we're going to be talking to them about their craft, their work, and also how they use this platform to get their work out into the world. So Michael, welcome. Thanks so much. Yeah, very excited to be here. Absolutely. And welcome Marlena Yanis. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me, both of you. I'm really grateful and honored and humbled that I got invited. So thank you so much. Thank you. And Gina Werfel, welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yes. And Bruce Dean is with us. Bruce, welcome. Thank you. And I want to say that I really enjoyed Gina and Marlena's work as well. So I'm proud to be here with them. I I appreciate it very much. (laughs) Well, I think this is one of the benefits of having this kind of a panel and a kind of a cross-pollination of ideas and styles. And we're going to hear about all of those. Well, Michael, perhaps we can start with you and this Altamira concept. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how you developed it and where we stand now with it. Yeah, so Altamira, it's funny that you say uh, having a cross-pollination of different styles and artists. Altamira is really all about that. Uh, We're a communal marketplace for art, artists, their critics, collectors, and fans. Uh, We facilitate community around art to provide education, social proof, um, emotional connection, and seamless transaction all in one place. Uh, and we really aim to democratize the art world, opening it up to anyone who wants to participate in it. Um, as far as how it developed, uh, I, my background is in building software, and I've just always been surrounded by artists. And I looked out into the, the world and, and didn't see a place where online art could, could really be sold in a way that catered to art uh, in the way that it should be. Art is di- or Purchasing art is different than purchasing a pair of jeans. And so uh, there needs to be, and in my opinion, there needs to be more interaction, more opportunity for sort of um, thought and dialogue going into that um, purchase. And so Altamira really is different than other marketplaces for art online because we really focus on community. Um, We built it as social commerce, which means there's a lot more interaction taking place. Artists are commenting and critiquing each other's work critics are, are doing the same um, and collectors are, are sort of following along with all of that. And in some cases, contributing their own thoughts, um, asking questions, and it's just a much richer interaction, um, more akin to what you might get in person as opposed to online. And we think that's just a, a much, much better model for it. And that's kind of where we're at. Um, we're, we're early on, we launched one year ago, um, almost on the day. Um, and 
I think rather than me continuing to, to go on um, would be, I'll turn it over to the artists and then sort of <laughs> well, get out good. of the way as much well, as possible. I love this uh, convergence, though, before we do that, uh, of social and commerce. You know, that certainly you think of a gallery, uh, you know, the, the brick and mortar gallery as a place to mingle and talk and, you know, peruse the art and enjoy that setting. And yet you don't always have a chance to, especially maybe for the entry level collector or for the average art aficionado to really feel comfortable talking about the process of buying and selling art. Yeah, and we think that's one of the, the main problems or pain points that we're solving for. It's intimidating to go into a gallery as a collector or, or as, as just a buyer if, if you don't have the, the gall to call yourself a collector and sort of ask questions with confidence and to receive their, the answers with confidence as well. Um, there's, there's been quite a bit of research done around what's preventing people from purchasing art. There's a huge number of people that say they want to buy it even people who think it's a good long-term investment and they don't. And, and the reason given is just the lack of confidence. And so by having this neutral third-party validation where cr critics are writing about artists, people that aren't the salespeople are giving their opinions. It one allows for a, a different way of learning about art, a different way of participating in the conversation, like you mentioned, where it's walking into a gallery. Um, but in a way that's not high sales pressure and, and sort of uh, is very trustable because it's not coming from anybody with any agenda other than to participate in a dialogue around art that excites them or gets them going in some way. Yes. Well, very good. Well, let's take some time to talk to the artists. Michael, thanks for curating this conversation and bringing together uh, various styles. Let's start with you, uh, Marlena Yanis. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the genesis and, and the basis of your art. It's been described as surreal, but it does uh, evoke a certain different emotion. It's it's bright and friendly, not the kind of scary surreal stuff maybe that we've imagined. <laughs> Yeah, I really like just admire nature in general. So that's where I get my inspiration from. And then I also think um, of the fact that my paintings will end up in somebody's house. And I always think, what would I want to have hanging in my house? I don't want to have something depressing or creepy or scary hanging in my house. I want to have something that lifts my spirit. So I want the same experience for whoever wants to buy my paintings. So that's pretty much it. Absolutely. And there is a certain fantasy piece to it, but uh, maybe you can describe a couple of scenes. Um, let me think. I don't really intentionally say I'm going to create fantasy per se, but I'm I like to combine, like I said, nature with objects from real life. And I guess that turns out into like a fantasy world, like the painting that, that you're looking at. I know in the mm -hmm. Posca, people won't be able to see anything, but mm -hmm. um, this painting that I have right here, um, it's a cloud in just a normal looking landscape. Um, but I guess the fantasy part is the ladder where you can climb up into the cloud. And not only that, there's more ladders on top of the, of the cloud and that can take you even 
to a higher place if you're spiritual. I'm not necessarily 100% spiritual um, and I'm not going to rub it onto people's faces, <laughs> whether you have to be spiritual or not, but there is something out there. We don't know what it is. So yes. well, whatever, the, whatever the that spiritual idea. sense is. Absolutely. And what were some of your influences as you were developing your craft and studying and continuing to practice? Who were some of your influences? The surrealists, um, Magritte, Dali, um, um, well, pretty much all of the surrealists. That... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and... it, I, I was thinking of Magritte and, and Dali when, yes. you, when I first saw some of your work. And yet, uh, as you said, the, the nature and the brightness and the positivity does come through. Yeah, also Remedios Varos, I wanted to say. Mm. Yeah. And also for new artists that I admire, I, I wanted to say this is, I, not, well, maybe not a coincidence, but um, your name, I mean, what's Bruce, <laughs> you're one of my favorite artists. I saw you on Altamira somehow. I think you connected or I connected. I don't know, but I keep seeing your work and I was like, oh my God, his work is amazing. And now I feel like, oh my God, I'm talking to you. <laughs> so that's pretty exciting. It's a nice side benefit of both the Altamira platform <laughs> and uh, you know, maybe the podcasting world. And so we meet. So he's now one of, I wouldn't say influence. I'm not copying you, <laughs> but- um, Please do. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he would be one of my influence now. Yes. One of wow, like contemporary cool. artists. Oh, that's terrific. Well, wow, Gina, maybe you. maybe we could come to you. Gina Werfel is uh, terrific uh, from the standpoint of not only your own art, but also uh, you've taught art. And how do you, I guess, explain the principles of art uh, and yet people can have their own style, their own fingerprint, their own signature style? So I love teaching people that have no background in art because they bring... I don't know, a sense of discipline, a sense of freedom. You know, I, I'll get students who are biological science majors and the first day they meet me and they say, Professor Werfel, I don't know how to draw a straight line. And I'm like, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really teaching people about language, you know, that visual language is not unlike written or reading language and that you know, once you have that toolbox, you can start to develop your own expression, your own uh, way of expressing yourself. So, mm -hmm. well, I'm glad you brought um, up straight line because I didn't see a lot of straight lines in your work. Uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of right. brush stroke. Uh, right. Again, uh, tell us a little bit about that. So, yeah, I, I'm a swimmer, except I'm in New York for the past month, so I haven't been swimming. I've been walking 10 miles a day. But um, for me, so my background comes out of plein air landscape painting, where I would go all over the place looking for motifs. And ironically, when I moved to California 20 years ago, at the time I had been living in Connecticut and I was working with reflections in water. And what I liked best is when the wind would come up or the tide, if I was in a tidal thing, and it would just screw everything up, you know, it would just disintegrate. And I got taken on by 
a gallery in Los Angeles. And I don't know how the other artists feel about relationships with dealers, but I had a very intense relationship with this guy. And he goes, I love your landscapes. They're beautiful, but I'm not gonna take you on until you move into abstraction. So I just dropped everything. And the guy turned out to be a little bit of a creep and you know, closed his gallery three years later. But in the process, I met some other really great mid-career painters and it really just opened me up. And I realized that critics in the past had written about my landscapes, that the landscape was just an excuse to explore the language. So getting back to your comment about no straight lines, I want my work to float. I want it to feel like you're swimming or I'm up on the 15th floor here in New York and the clouds, the sky, it kind of feels like I'm in that floating, ambiguous world. And somebody said to me, what's the difference between painting landscape and abstraction? I thought, I could do away with the horizon. (laughs) I don't have to ground myself. So anyway, so there is a kind of structure though behind all that swirling and organic stuff. I'm very much about thinking about the grid or thinking about the rectangle as a force field, but you would never know it looking at the work. It's so good. (laughs) uh, And I appreciated the comment about you know, well, I really love your work, but I want you to do something else. Uh, is that an expression of your work? I mean, great compliment, but yeah. you know, I want you to do something other than what you're doing. Well, I think it was really a provocation. And just when I was in the process of moving from Connecticut to California, I had just started dipping my toe into more abstract work. But I was scared to death to show it. And then my next show in New York was half abstraction, half figuration or landscape. And I thought, I'll just, it'll be like a slide rule going back and forth, you know. And then this dealer came into my life and he's like, you know, you've got to take a stand. You've got to be. <laughs> so, yes. and, and I think what's interesting, what I've loved about Altamira is when conversations start about a particular painting and people read into the abstract work. And so again, after years of trying to dissolve the representation, you know, like critics would say, you know, you can barely make out what the landscape is in Warfel's paintings. And now I'm on the other side and I, um, I just posted a painting a couple of weeks ago called Slant Step. And it was just amazing the kind of content that people were pulling out of it. So. <laughs> of their interpretation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I love that. So. Bruce, let's bring you into the conversation. Bruce Dean, your work is also on the surreal side of life. Very emotive. Uh, I wouldn't call it light and airy, though. Uh, <laughs> how would you describe it? An effort to be light and eerie, maybe, I'm not sure. <laughs> Actually, it, it is so new to me. Um, I went in the opposite direction that Gina did. Uh, for 40 years, I was an abstract painter. And wow. I, um, <laughs> I visited my daughter for the first time. She was living in Rome. I visited her in Rome for the first time. 
my first time in Rome. And I went to the cathedrals and the museums and I came back and it completely changed my work. My work began to be influenced by Renaissance painting. Uh, before then, my favorite painters were Richard Diebenkorn, for example, who has a connection at Davis, I believe. And, um, <laughs> Mark Rothko, I, I, I swore by Mark Rothko. That's, that's what I was aiming for. Uh, even though I started my career as an illustrator, um, because I didn't know what else to do when I got out of art school. Um, and it was rather naive because I showed Polaroids of my work to people. It was kind of funny, but they believed in it. And I got jobs and I started working as an illustrator. So I was trained in doing figurative work. But I think when it came to deciding what figurative work, what do I want to say? What do I want it to look like? Uh, perhaps it was just the time when abstraction was so important. Uh, but also it was my feeling sort of naive about what to paint. Um, I finally asked a, an art consultant if she wanted to sell my illustrations that I still owned. And she said, well, no, but I can sell that piece on your wall. And it was an abstraction that I'd done for myself. <laughs> and that changed my life. Although it took me a year to give her an abstraction. I was so married to them. I was so <laughs> thinking I'll never be able to do this again. It, it took me a year, but that changed my whole life. And I became an abstract painter. In the last five years now, I'm going in the other direction. So I went from figurative work to uh, empty interiors. Uh, and now birds have popped into my paintings. I don't know exactly where they came from. Well, I was just I'm about to sure. ask you about birds because uh, <laughs> I, I have seen a thread here. I am really compelled by this uh, painting intersection with the cranes uh, coming across, uh, you know, I would call it Abbey Road at night. You know, here's <laughs> <laughs> that has been suggested. Absolutely, that might yeah, be where that maybe that's my own. See, that's there, Gina. This is the uh, viewer's interpretation. Probably had exactly. nothing to do with person's inspiration. <laughs> but when a viewer tells me that, it becomes my interpretation. Well. So, oh, you know, I'll take it. Abbey Road at night. Absolutely. So, fantastic. Uh, it's interesting. I have learned from some of the people that have reviewed my work on Altamira. Uh, John Crowther, one of your, your writers, suggested that uh, perhaps these birds being in these odd places, these places where they don't belong, might be a reaction to the pandemic. Maybe it's me saying, this is familiar territory, but I feel unfamiliar in this place in some way. And so I wasn't sure why I was painting them, to be honest with you, but I've sort of adopted that as a possibility. Mm -hmm. That could be it. Yeah, uh, well, but I do find that they're compelling for me. I want to do more. Well, they are, and the work is beautiful. Thank so you. maybe we could uh, keep with the artists here for a second, but describe to us, uh, as we've said about social and commerce, how these things have come together for you, and maybe what benefits you've seen on the Altamira uh, Gallery site and platform. What does it mean to you as an artist? And Marlena, maybe we could start with you. More the interaction, um, like Michael mentioned, it's more interactive. Um, people can make comments and the critics, I wanted to say, Michael, that your critics are amazing. The way they write, they're so talented. I'm always so impressed. Um, so them writing about my work, it gives me like a different insight, like um, a reaffirmation of what I intended, intended, I'm sorry, to convey. So that's one thing. And then also comments from just regular people. That's also very interesting. And the social part of it that you can just 
really easily connect to Twitter or Instagram or yeah, I think it's it's really great. So the interactive part of it and the mm -hmm. amazing critics that I don't know if you're hiring them. Do they get paid? Because they're doing an awesome job. <laughs> we, we have we have one paid critic and then uh, the rest are are all just on Altamira the same as as they would be on Twitter or Instagram or any other social platform. I'll be happy to pay them, by the way. Just, just, just let me know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That'll be a new fund. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Gina, what is the uh, platform meant for you? Well, I'm on a couple of other online galleries. And um, what I love about Altamira is that interactive quality. I mean, I just went to a zillion in-person openings in New York last week. And you know, just the crush of people, the the social aspect had been missing from my from my online galleries until Michael came along with Altamira. So um, it that interactive quality is is really important. And just I think just the sheer range of work. Uh, you know, some days I'm like, oh my god, you know. Um, I don't like what I'm seeing. And then other days it's like, wow, <laughs> really interesting people have come on. And Bruce, I have to say, like one of my biggest influences as an abstract painter is uh, Pazzo's Cathedral in Rome, San Ignatius. So, oh. you know, we really are coming at, I mean, it's ironic that you call your painting intersection. I have a painting that Michael likes called intersection. But anyway, wow. I, I think Altamira provides that social marketplace of, you know, interacting with people as if we were in the same room. So. That's good. Bruce, how has it uh, influenced you and helped you? Well, it's, it's a very different experience than anything I've experienced recently. Um, I began my career showing illustration, but ultimately showing art in galleries. Uh, that was an important thing back then. I would have my, I would have a group show or, or my show written about by a critic. On Altamira, I find people writing about a single painting. They get, they delve into it. They consider it. Uh, they have people responding to their particular response. Uh, I'm learning from it. I really enjoy that aspect of it. I also think Michael, maybe coming from the world he's come from, with uh, your understanding of the internet and all those things, uh, <laughs> I think that you better understand how to get us out there, how to have more people look at what we're doing and think about it. Uh, every comment I get that's not from a critic on a writer from Alt on Altamira is from an artist, it seems, and that's really gratifying. I I love hearing other artists say, say something about my work. So um, I think eventually it'll become a great sales platform. Uh, but right now I like it for just what it is for me. It's, uh, it's, it's having people see my work and understand more about it. So. Yeah. So Michael, I think we're hearing this uh, visibility certainly, but the empowerment, you've really also created a different kind of financial model vis-a-vis uh, -vis galleries. And maybe you could explain that a little bit. Yeah, of course. Uh, so galleries have, physical galleries have really expensive real estate. Um, the easiest way to be successful as a physical gallery is having expensive real estate. And so uh, they have to pass that cost along to the artists that they represent. Uh, there, there are in some small cases, apparently galleries that will take 
30% from their artists, but I've only talked to artists who have worked with galleries who take 50%. Um, and more and more, I'm talking to artists who the gallery isn't necessarily selling the work. The work might be in the gallery, but um, a lot of the, the sales are coming through their own marketing efforts, whether that's on Instagram uh, or what have you. And so we looked at that and said, what, what's the lowest amount that we can take and be economically viable? Uh, and that's 10%. Uh, and so that's, that's what we take from artists is 10%, meaning artists keep 90% as opposed to the 10%. Um, and we just think that's a, a better way of doing it. Uh, there are some platforms that artists can sell on, and, and those are typically around 30%. Um, that aren't Altamira, I should say. And, and I think they've looked out and were like, okay, physical galleries are taking 50%. So what's a, what's a number that anchors down and is demonstrably different, but is still the highest amount we can take. And so that's kind of the different approach. And uh, from a business standpoint, it's a long-term view as opposed to a short-term one. Um, we think that over the long run, if we are the best place for artists to uh, to sell their work, for them to market their work, build their sort of following credibility, reputation, then we'll be really, really successful as opposed to what is the, the fastest way we can extract value from everybody. Um, and that would be the short-term view. So we're just trying to take the long-term approach. Yes. And Gina, I, I wanted to add one thing, oh, go ahead, Bruce. I wanted to add yeah. one thing really quickly, and that is I'm, I'm very glad that we found each other, Michael, but I, I would imagine if I were a young artist right now, how remarkable it would be to begin with something like your platform. I think it's, it's, a, it's a great thing for people my age, but also for young artists coming up. Yeah, that's great. Well, Gina, I was wondering, I guess, from the standpoint of the artist brand, you know, it's, it's not only a creative pursuit, but it, it's a livelihood. It's a business. And mm -hmm. so, you know, does this model uh, change things from your artist's point of view? How relevant is it? Well, you know, first off, Michael, I think when you and I first had our first conversation, probably a year ago, you know, I was astounded that you could make this model work with a 10% commission because the online galleries that I have and private dealers and galleries, it's all 50%. So bravo. <laughs> uh, Thank so, you. Um, you know, I, I how how to make it work. I, I I think Michael, you've done a really great job of expanding the network, but I still feel like it's kind of under the radar in terms of the art world. And um, you know, just dealing with one of my online galleries this past week, they're based in Paris, and most of my sales are in the United States and Germany. Anyway, she decided to try her hand with art fairs. So it's really been interesting watching that relationship shift from all online to that very interactive, commercially driven art fair model. And, you know, so having literally just experienced this and all the artists that were in the art fair and the dealers were meeting for drinks in Brooklyn tonight. And I, I'm really curious, like, how do they feel this shift worked for them? And anyway, Michael, it's made me think you are so damn creative. 
a month from now, you're going to come up with some new, <laughs> new wrinkle in, in the platform. You know, I, um, so anyway, I'm, I'm very excited about it. And I, I, I particularly like that I'm one of the earlier artists to join the platform and just watching it mature into a one-year-old and beyond. <laughs> That's good. Well, and Mar Marlena, uh, looking ahead for you, what's on the horizon? You know, we've been talking about horizon lines and landscape, and I just realized I uh, used it in a different context. But yeah, looking ahead for you and your craft, but also this business kind of venture on Altamira. How do you see things going forward for you? Um, to me, I always see life as a learning experience. So I don't see like uh, there's this goal that I have to reach. Um, to me, it's just continuing to grow and grow and grow and get better at what I do, get better at selling with the help of people like Michael with Altamira and just continue keep trying if there's something new that comes i'll try it so maybe it's not very ambitious but <laughs> to me i don't know i think i'm at a point in my life where i that's how i see my life just mm -hmm. keep trying keep learning keep growing because that's just pretty much in any stage of life that you may be um it's about learning um if you feel like you reach a point where, oh, I'm all that, I'm all good, uh, then you're stuck. Mm -hmm. So that's that's how I see it. I will just continue to grow and learn for the rest of my life. Uh, wonderful. Bruce, how are you th seeing things in the future? What's next for you? Well, I just got influenced by Marlena speaking a moment ago. <laughs> uh, you know, it's true, when I was a, an abstract painter, I would have to say the person that most influenced the work I was doing in that moment was the person I was a year before or six months before. I didn't feel like I could change my work so dramatically at times. I felt like, oh, there has to be something that carries over. And so the work evolved, evolved, but very slowly. Uh, and now I've reached a point in my career where I just wanna see what comes next. I'm looking forward to uh, making changes, having something pop in like cranes did or like interiors <laughs> did. And I think a, a site like Altamira is perfect for that. It gives me the opportunity to just explore whatever I want to explore. And uh, I'm looking forward to finding out what comes next. So mm -hmm. we'll see. Wonderful. Isn't that, yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, Bruce, that's the joy about being an artist where we're lifetime learners, I guess. And, you know, like if you stay stuck in a certain mode of thinking or making, you get bored, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> well, Michael, you heard that from the artists that uh, they're learning and growing. How are you and Altamira gonna continue to learn and grow? What do you see out there? Yeah, we, we have a sort of a two things. One, a long backlog of continued innovations and feature improvements on the platform itself to help further connect artists, critics, and buyers um, in more rich ways and in ways that help artists sort of grow their brand and, and collectors find art that they love. Um, but I think that the second thing more concretely is the Pink Bison Prize, which is a prize that we've created at Altamira um, to 
uh, award the the best artist who is on Altamira and, and who's posted on Altamira, um, which we will award that in February to participate. You just have to sign up on Altamira as an artist and, and post some work. Um, it's, it's a little different than a typical art prize in that one part of it, the first half of how we get the finalist is all made up of popular votes. Um, part of Altamira is an upvoting system, kind of like Reddit. Um, and then the second half, we do have uh, a um, group of jurors who will be evaluating those finalists and pick the, the final winner. Um, among them, we've got uh, somebody who used to work for MoMA. We've got uh, our resident critic, John Crowther, another um, art podcaster named John Dalton, and then uh, a, a critic who writes for, um, I think, the Huffington Post and, and also has a NPR um, affiliate. And we're also in talks right now with uh, a museum to come on and, and be a title sponsor for partner for that, not sponsor. Shouldn't miss me. But th <laughs> those are the, and, and I'm really excited about that because I think that helps get the word out for artists. Um, it, it helps bring more eyeballs from collectors. It also gets more artists onto the platform. And um, as, as I know this podcast is about how do you create and how do you promote, um, we, we think that the best way for us to promote is through the community, through things like this. But um, each artist knows five collectors with the thousands of artists we now have on the platform. If they each artist were to tell those five collectors to come check it out, we now have a ton of collectors looking at everybody's art. Fantastic. Well, yeah. what a great conversation. I have really enjoyed this and, and the creative stimulation. And I know the listeners have too. Michael, thanks for coming on and telling us about Altamira. Of course. Thanks so much for having us, Mark. And thanks, Marlena and Gina and Bruce, for telling us all about uh, your creative inspiration and how you uh, execute and promote and market your own artwork. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Yeah. We're Likewise. Gonna, we're going to continue these panel discussions. I, I really like the interaction. It sounds like uh, this is even a forum for you guys to talk to each other. Michael, yeah. think, of, think about a weekly series where we have a Zoom call where uh, the artists can talk to each other. That's a free Done. idea. Done for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll always take my 10% commission on that idea. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> uh, listeners, you, I hope you've enjoyed this panel discussion as much as I have. My guest has been Michael Fashionello of Altamira, along with artists who are on the platform, Marlena, Giannis, Gina, Werfel, and Bruce Dean. And their uh, links and coordinates are all in the show notes. So take some time to look at the artwork and look at the stories behind them. Uh, we've laughed about some inspiration that sometimes comes out, uh, but there's a lot more behind. You'll even read about how Michael, his aunt owned a gallery when he was a kid and that helped inspire him for a love of art, even from a young age. These are great stories and we love to bring those on this podcast. So until next time, I'm Mark Stenson and we'll continue to unlock your world of creativity. We'll see you next time. Unlocking Your World of Creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliQ Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and thepeaceroom.love.
we've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get the book, A World of Creativity, for a special price of $5.98 for paperback. And the Kindle version is only $0.99. Cents. Go to mark-stinson.com to take advantage of this special offer.